found yourself in a situation where you just did not know what to do? Another way to ask that is, are you human? <laughs> are you breathing? Have you ever found yourself in a situation you just really do not know what to do? Maybe it's like there's a big life choice before you. Maybe your child is just making all sorts of poor decisions and you don't know what to do. Maybe you have made a really big mistake and you don't know how to recover from it. That helpless feeling of not knowing what to do is something I think we've all experienced before. And if you've been there, or if you're like, oh, surely I am there right now, I think that you might relate to the person in our scripture passage this morning. We meet a woman in this passage in 2 Kings 4. Um, it's a quirky little story in the Hebrew scriptures about a woman who is caught in the net of life's contradictions. She is in the midst of a crisis. She does not know what to do. She's come face to face with challenges that are just completely overwhelming her. She doesn't know what to do. Um, she goes to Elisha, the prophet. And as we wrap up this series we've been in called Decision Making 101, um, I thought we'd take a look at her story. So this is her story. One day, the wife of a man from the guild of prophets called out to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead. You well know what a good man he was, devoted to God. And now the man to whom he was in debt is on his way to collect by taking my two children as slaves. Elisha said, I wonder how I can be of help. Tell me, what do you have in your house? Nothing, she said. Well, I do have a little oil. Here's what you do, said Elisha. Go up and down the street and borrow jugs and bowls from all your neighbors. And not just a few, all you can get. Then come home and lock the door behind you, you and your son. Pour oil into each container. When each is full, set it aside. She did what he said. She locked the door behind her and her son. As they brought the containers to her, she filled them. When all the jugs and bowls were full, she said to one of her sons, another jug, please. He said, that's it. There are no more jugs. Then the oil stopped. She went and told the story to the man of God. He said, go sell the oil and make good on your debt. Live, both you and your sons, on what's left. Amen. What do you do when you don't know what to do? It's kind of a phrase, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. And this woman in this story, this widow, is on desperate times. And in the midst of that difficulty, we, we find out, you know, her husband has died. She's in a vulnerable position. Uh, we don't know exactly why she's in financial crisis. It does say that his creditors are coming. Um, maybe it's something her husband did. Maybe it's something she did. We don't really know. But the creditors are coming. Maybe they're just coming to take advantage of a vulnerable person. She is a widow. 
in a patriarchal society. She's definitely in uh, the ancient world in a very vulnerable spot. She's lost her husband. She's lost her money. She is about to lose her sons. She's in danger of losing them. So she comes to Elisha with this request. She doesn't know what to do. And it's kind of one of those moments, like, what do you do when you do not know what to do? And I think we see in this story just a simple little pattern that perhaps is a bit of a guide for us, too. She simply goes like this, asks, and then listens, and then trusts or yields or, or follows what she's heard. So the first thing that she does when she doesn't know what to do is she just comes and asks. And sometimes that's an easy thing to miss. Like, when you don't know what to do, you could say it like this. Step one, you ask God. Verse one says, cr she cried out. And, and literally, some translation says, to, it's like to appeal for help. She's appealing for help. She's crying out. She's appealing for help. That little phrase actually shows up like eight times in the book of 2 Kings. And almost every time it's to appeal for help, to appeal. She's crying out. She's crying out, God, I need you to come. I need you to come to my rescue. I don't know what to do. I need you to come to my aid. And in this story, by coming to the prophet Elisha, she is in effect coming to God in that situation. She's saying, I need help. We know in the story that her husband revered God. She, we know that he was in ministry, you could say. She came from a good family. They had probably done a lot of things right. But now all of that is gone. Her husband's gone. She's pleading. She's crying out. And she is a person in scripture who is in like a long line of people who cried out to God. Cried out to God for help, looked to God for consolation in times of having no idea what to do. In fact, crying out to God, is, it's, uh, it is the norm in scripture, not the exception. So you can kind of think throughout scripture of different people and the words and the ways in which they cried out to God. The prophet Isaiah is an example where he's in the midst of a crisis. The kingdom is divided. He cries out and he says this. You could just hear the desperation. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Come down to make your name known among your enemies. He's just crying out. You have uh, the blind man on the side of the road who knows that Jesus is walking by. Bartimaeus is his name. And when he hears that Jesus has come to town, he cries out with those famous words, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Again, you hear that desperation. All throughout scripture, we see people who are crying out to God for help. And the question for us, as simple as it is, is, is that your first inclination when you don't know what to do? Are we too proud to cry out to God for help? Blaise Pascal said it, said it like this, our principal malady is our pride, which cuts us off from God. 
when I don't know what to do, is my first inclination to cry out like this long line of people throughout scripture. Where do you go? Like, who do you go to? What do you go to when life is just crashing in on you and you don't know what to do? I mean, in a lot of ways, the American way is to distract and to numb. So we have retail therapy and we have a whole slew of addictions and we have a whole slew of distractions. But all of these things are what Pascal is talking about, ways in which we are cut off from God. Do you throw yourself upon God when you are in need? Where do you go? When you don't know what to do, the first thing she's teaching us is to ask God to come to your aid, to cry out. And then the second thing we see in this little story is when you don't know what to do and you have asked to listen. Again, kind of simple, but to listen. Elisha asks her, uh, what do you have in your house? And she responds, your servant has nothing there at all oh, it, except a small jar of olive oil. And that little phrase, small jar, is important because it's like an equivalent of like one serving of oil. Like that's all, that's all I got, she says. That is all I've got. And then Elisha asks her to do a really strange thing. Like instead of asking her to bring him the oil, what does he do? He says, go around to your neighbors and get a bunch of containers or vessels or jars, bigger ones. Go around and don't just get a few, get as many as you can from your neighbors. And then pour out the little bit of oil that you do have into the other jars. Basically, he is asking her to take the only thing that she has and to give it back to God. And her choice is, is really our choice too. When circumstances are desperate and dire, where will you turn? And who will you listen to? Will you turn to God? Will you listen to God? There's this final sort of uh, movement of trust, right? I mean, he asks her to do this very odd, very strange, doesn't make any sense sort of thing. She asks for help. She listens for guidance. And then she trusts. In other words, like we've been saying through this whole series, she does the next right thing in love. She's asked. She's heard. And then she does the next right thing. Elisha gives her these instructions. She listens to them. She leaves him. The text says that she goes on. She does exactly what he has said. And not only does she listen, but she trusts that somehow in the midst of this divine instruction in this situation, instruction that makes no sense at all, that somehow she is, she is showing that she believes that God's way is best for her and for her family. And after she collects all of those containers, those vessels, Elisha tells her to pour out all she has. And remember earlier she had said, that little bit of oil, that's all she had. That's it. He essentially is saying, I want you to pour out everything that you have into these other vessels. And then I want you to see what happens. 
Now that takes a whole lot of trust, a whole lot of faith, because there was no telling what would happen. She didn't know how the story would end. But she decides to trust anyway, to yield, to listen, to do that next right thing, regardless of the outcome, not knowing how it would happen, what would happen. Um, in her book called A Little Pot of Oil, Jill Briscoe writes this. Sometimes it takes a crisis in our lives to show us the limits of our own strength and the sufficiency of our own strength and the sufficiency of God's provision. And we don't learn that lesson if we just sit around and wait for God to take care of us. We have to step out and pour out, trusting that the Holy Spirit will fill us and give us what we need to continue. That is the story of this widow. She is stepping out. She is pouring out the little bit she has into these other vessels not knowing the outcome, trusting that God's provision for her will be there. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's easier to say you trust God when things are going well, when your children are doing well, when you like when you get the promotion, when you get into the school. But what does it look like to trust God when the bottom falls out? When you have no idea how this will work out, what does it look like right there in the middle of the dire crisis, in, in the midst of the storm, when you're surrounded by so much sorrow, when you feel like all is lost, will you trust God there too? There's a story of one day Mother Teresa, someone came to her and said, why is it that the untouchable in India, why is it that they are so drawn to Jesus? And she said this, when Jesus is all you've got, you discover that Jesus is all that you need. And the widow's decision in this story is our decision. Like, will we decide that when all you have is a little pot of oil and Jesus, will you trust Will you believe that that is enough? That that little pot of oil and Jesus is enough? In a world that's constantly training us to see that it's never enough, that whatever you have is never enough, that the bar for enough is always moving further and further out and higher and beyond where you are, will you choose to trust and believe that that little pot of oil that you have plus Jesus, is enough. When you don't know what to do, will you, like her, ask and listen and trust? I think that's the message of this little story. The, the quirkiness of this story also seems to be just simply saying, as Scripture often does, that God very often works through ordinary people and ordinary things. And I love that about this story and so many stories in Scripture. Like if someone who's so ordinary, who has something so ordinary, is willing to trust in an extraordinary God, that even a little pot of oil will be enough. Because if God is who God says he is, 
if God can do what we know God can do, then there is this sense that God is greater and God is stronger and that he can do immeasurably more in your life than anything that you could hope or wish or pray, anything more than you could even imagine. She's not the first person in scripture to be ordinary, to have something ordinary, to see God transform it and use it in an extraordinary way. Like you think about Moses, right? Moses comes back from all this time in exile. What does he have? All he has is a staff, a simple staff. Ordinary man, ordinary item. And God, what does God do with that staff? He turns into a snake before Pharaoh, parts the Red Sea, turns the Nile into blood, ordinary object. I mean, you think about the Apostle Paul when he's in prison, he's chained to a Roman guard. All he has there in prison is like his quill, his pen, some parchment, pretty ordinary. But yet what, what God does with that, you think about David with the slingshot, right? Ordinary guy, ordinary item. And God uses that to slay the mighty Goliath in that story, the Philistine armies running into the hills. And what that means for us is, as tempting as it is to think that you need something other than what you have right here, right now, the story of scripture over and over and over again, you already have enough, like right now. Like you don't need the MBA, you don't need the PhD, you don't need the Lexus GX fancy, I don't know cars very well, but <laughs> you don't need any letters, you know, after your name or anything. There's nothing wrong, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things, but you don't need them because it's like over and over and over in scripture, God's taking ordinary people with ordinary things because he's the one who's extraordinary and he is transforming using those things, using those people in his kingdom. So in a world that's always pushing us to prove and to perform and to work towards more, the story's saying like, little pot of oil, it's enough. Whatever you have right now, if it's never anything more, it's enough. In God's hands, it's enough. I mean, you think very simply, right now sitting right here, listening from home, wherever you are, take a deep breath. You have, you have your breath, which is to say you have life. You know what else she had in the story? She had her neighbors. And you have your neighbors. You have your people. You have people. And she in the story went to those people. And you have the eternal love of the triune God. This is enough. You already hold a little bit of oil. And with that little bit of oil, God can do great things. I read this, uh, this very odd story. Uh, in, in 1990, there was this guy, 26-year-old man, who robbed a bank in Ottawa, Canada, and uh, he went in to rob the bank with a gun, and he took $6,000 from the bank robbery. And then he was caught by the police, and they confiscated the gun that he had taken in to rob the bank. And uh, the young man's name was Danny Simpson. 
So they confiscated the gun, and he was sent to jail for six years. But later, the police discovered that that gun that he had taken in was not any ordinary gun. It was this, like, antique pistol that was worth near $100,000. (laughs) Like, 20 times the amount that he had stolen. He didn't know, like, what was in his hand already. Which just begs the question for us, like, what is in your hand already? And so often, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm, like, thinking about, like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? You know, I'm to push, to prove, to try to find that next thing. And God is like, you, you already hold it. You already hold it in the breath I've given you this day. You already have it in these neighbors right around you, this human family. And you already have it in the eternal love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If God is who God says he is, and if God can do what we know God can do, then he can do with even a little pot of oil what is immeasurably more than what we could ever Let's pray together as we close. Oh God, we pause again now to breathe slowly, to gather our scattered senses into your loving presence. And we confess that since the start, we have been trying to run the show of our own lives, that we keep trying to be the captains of our own ship. But the truth is, God, if we're honest, we don't know what to do so very often. We admit now that all our desperate efforts are really just powerless apart from you, that we need you. And as we come to communion, we throw ourselves once again on your mercy and your grace. We need your presence. We need your power. We need you, God. We ask for your help. And we listen for your voice. And ahead of time we say, we will yield our lives to your ways. Help us see what it is that's already in our hands. And help us to just trust you with that little bit of oil that you've given us today. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit we pray. And everybody said,